Father, as we open your word today and, and uh, we reflect on the realities of who the Holy Spirit is, I pray that you would refresh our souls. It is not the one who speaks, it is the words from Scripture, living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, God-breathed and useful in teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Father, I pray that your inspired word would bring life and health to our souls. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Most of you have heard me at one time or another talk about how I was a disc jockey before I became a pastor. And every now and again, for fun, when I teach communications class, I'll break into my, welcome to Prism Church voice. And then people just go, oh, that's weird. You know, it's kind of creepy, but it's weird. You know, I'd say, what do you do? And, and, I, and I, so I did this for, like, I just got a journalism degree and uh, went in, like, 10 years I worked in radio from the time I was in college till uh, I started working part-time at a church as the youth minister. And I'd been to seminary, and that's a long story in and of itself as to why I went there. But I was at this church working as the youth minister, and I had told the elders and I had told my boss, the senior pastor, I'm going to do this for a little while because you guys have need of a youth minister, but I, I really see myself in radio and being kind of this personality guy. And I kind of had these visions of grandeur or delusions, depending on how much talent you think I really have. And, and, and at the same time, I started walking the, the life of a minister, and, a, and particularly a minister to youth. And as I walked, I, I, I found myself getting uh, more used to the idea that perhaps my life, my vocation, was working with people within the context of the church. So as I'm processing, you know, which direction am I going to go, we did what many student ministries do. We took a group of students on a short-term missions project, and this one was, in, was to Peru, and in Peru, uh, we worked alongside a mission to orphans. And these were street children. And I, and I want to tell you how some of them became orphans. Because when I heard it, it just broke my heart. Their parents, either too poor or not wanting the burden any longer of a, of a child, would come to the capital city of Peru, Lima, walk their four, five, six-year-olds into the town square and just disappear. And then now a four, five, six-year-old child has to wander around at first wondering, where is my parent? And then at some point in that experience realizing they've left me. Not even being able to comprehend why did they die? Did they disappear? And maybe not until they get a little older that they start to realize that they were just dumped. See, it's into this mess that a mission like the one we came alongside was working with street kids. Today, we are going to take a look at the, what the scriptures have to say about the role of the Holy Spirit, and Jesus in particular is concerned that we wouldn't feel the same feeling that a small child abandoned in a town square would feel, that we would not be people who felt like we were alone to fend for ourselves, ill-equipped for the challenges ahead of us. He very much wants us to realize that he is there with us. And the way Jesus does that is to promise the delivery of the Holy Spirit. 
We're in the midst of a community month. This is the month where we're really trying to not just grow a church numerically, which is kind of fun when we get to see people begin to start coming to our church, but it's so much more than that for us. We, we, we desperately want you to feel a sense of home and connection with each other. Even as we reach out to the community and, and care for others, uh, PRISM as a community wants us to have relationships that are real and ones that are honest in, in a context where we know we can do this because Jesus has freed us from being able to be pretentious. I do not have to pretend, even as the pastor, to be more put together than I really am, which isn't all that put together, frankly. A gospel community brings freedom. And today we're talking about the Holy Spirit's role and the necessity for the Holy Spirit to be involved if we're going to build spiritual community. Makes sense, doesn't it? If you're going to have spiritual community, you're going to have to have the Spirit's involvement. Larry Crabb, and this is the book that Brooks and I are, have read through and has inspired us to do this particular series. It's called The Safest Place on Earth. And uh, it's by Larry Crabb. I'd encourage you to pick up a copy. You can get used copies on Amazon. That's how I got mine because it's several years old, the book itself. Larry Crabb says this. If you want to prepare for involvement in spiritual community, acknowledge that no amount of knowledge and skill and effort will make it happen. No more than a short person can will himself to be taller. Growth, both within us individually and in our relationships, is a mysterious work of the Spirit. So we have to ask the question. I think if you're going to deal with the Holy Spirit and you talk about the Holy Spirit. And we spoke last week, Brooks taught through the Trinity and the, and the belief, the doctrine, the reality from Scripture that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three persons, one being. If we're going to proceed with the effects, the ministry, if we're going to understand the words of Jesus, it's going to be that we're going to have to understand how and who the Holy Spirit is. To that end, because if I actually took all the time to work through every description of the Holy Spirit that was in the Bible, this would be a really long service. And for those of you who are visiting, it would be the last time you came. So uh, to that end, I want to do two things. One is you on your pew, and you'll have to share more than likely, there's a sheet that will give you a, a list of descriptors that I'm going to actually read through at mock disc jockey speed. All right, but I'm also going to include this in the weekly email blast. So one more pitch there for you filling out that card and making sure you check your email to make certain that the Prism email didn't get filtered into your junk mail. Who is the Holy Spirit? I'm going to read from this. According to the universally, and then when I say universal, I mean the Roman Catholics, the Eastern Orthodox, the Protestant Orthodox agreed-upon standard for Christian doctrine, the Nicene Creed, this is what it says. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, he is worshiped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. He is fully God. He is eternal, omniscient, omnipresent, and omnipotent. He is a person Jesus called him a he, which is why we refer to him with a masculine pronoun. He clearly is spirit, which means that he cannot be compared to the male of the human species. So let's be clear about that as well. 
Although, because we were made in the image of God and the Holy Spirit is one in being with the Father and Son, mankind does share attributes with the Holy Spirit as he is a person. Cults like the Jehovah's Witnesses, and no offense if you came here and you're a Jehovah's Witness, but historic Christianity would refer to Jehovah's Witnesses as a cult. And the reason they would do so is because they don't believe in the divinity of Christ. This isn't on the sheet. I'm throwing this in for fun. And, and, and because, pr- principally today, they declare that the Holy Spirit is merely a force. Now, this is clearly out of step with Scripture and how Scripture characterizes him. If the Holy Spirit were a mere force like the movie Star Wars... He would not speak as he does in Acts 13.2. He wouldn't have emotions such as grief, read Ephesians 4.30, or a will of his own, 1 Corinthians 12.11. Muslims use John 14.16 to say that Jesus was talking about the coming of Muhammad because the Greek word used for another actually means another of the same kind. So they would say he couldn't have been talking about a spirit because Jesus did say another like me is coming. Now, the catch is that while this is true, what Jesus is again restating for us is that he and the Holy Spirit share a same kindness in that they are the same being. They are both deity. So yeah, another of the same kind, God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is clearly a person His names include God, Lord, Spirit, Spirit of God, Spirit of Truth, Eternal Spirit. His attributes biblically include being eternal, omnipotent, omnipresent. He has a will. He loves and he speaks. We can sin against him through blasphemy, resistance through unbelief, through insulting him, lying to him, grieving him, and quenching him. What does the Holy Spirit do? Scripturally, In Ephesians 2.18, he gives us access to God. In Luke 4.18, he anoints us for service. In Galatians 4.6 and Ephesians 1.17, he assures us. In 2 Peter 1.20-21, he authors scripture. In John 1.23 and 24, he baptizes. In John 3.3-6, he births new believers. In Acts 13.24, he calls and commissions. In 1 Thessalonians 3.13, he cleanses. In John 16.9, he convicts us of sin. In Genesis 1.2, he creates. In Luke 24.49, he empowers believers. In Acts 2.4, he fills believers. In 1 Corinthians 12.8-11, he gives gifts to believers. In John 16.14, he glorifies Christ. In John 16.13, he guides and truth in Romans 8 26 he helps our weakness in Romans 8 9 through 14 he indwells believers in Ephesians 6 18 and Jude 20 he inspires prayer in Romans 8 26 he intercedes for us in 1 Corinthians 2 1 he interprets scripture in 8 Romans 8 14 he leads in Romans 8 2 he liberates in Galatians 5 22 through 23 he molds godly character in Romans 8 11 he raises the dead in Titus 3 5 he regenerates believers in Romans 15 16 he sanctifies in Ephesians 1 13 and 14 he seals in Ephesians 3 16 and Acts 1 8 he strengthens in John 14 26 he teaches in John 15 26 he testifies of Jesus in Romans 8 2 through 4 in Galatians 4 6 he gives us victory over the flesh and praise the Lord in Philippians Philippians 3.3, he helps us to worship. This is the Holy Spirit. He is personal, and he is a permanent presence, and he is the source of all community life. 
And from Jesus' words in John 14, 15 through 20, I just want to point out a couple quick things today. Okay, the first is this. The Holy Spirit advocates for us from within us. Now listen to what Jesus said here in John 14, verses 16 through 17. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to be with you, to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is our advocate. And the Greek word here is the word paraclete, or one that comes alongside and gives comfort, which is why some translations of this passage say that the Holy Spirit was referred to as the comforter. The comprehensive role of the Holy Spirit is to compassionately advocate for us before the Father for continued grace and strength in our weaknesses. The Holy Spirit's role is to compassionately come alongside of you, to fill you from within, but to plead for more grace and mercy and strength for you. It is not your sole responsibility to ask God for the things you need. As we'll discover here in just a minute, you and I don't have the capacity to understand the complexity of how broken we are or even what our real needs are. Romans 8, verses 26 through 26 and 27, the Apostle Paul says this, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans and he searches our hearts knows the mind, and he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. You ever feel to yourself like, I don't know what to do. Do I take this job? Do I not take this job? Do I move? Do I not move? Is my motive right? Is this relationship that I think I want really good for me? What am I doing? I'm so confused. If you've ever thought to yourself, I don't even know how to pray. This is what I want to encourage you with today. The Holy Spirit has got you covered. Before the throne of God, you're not prayerless. Even when you don't pray, the Holy Spirit, if you're his child and he lives in you, the Holy Spirit is interceding for you. He is talking to the Father. He's saying, now Chuck has got no clue, Father. He is clueless. So he's asking for A, but you and I both know he don't need A for nothing. He needs B. And isn't this the truth for all of us? I mean, we're like, okay, I think this is what I want. But when's the last time you've ever really known exactly what you wanted? I thank the Lord my wife didn't have a comprehensive understanding of who I was before she married me. I'm just glad God guided her in that process. Because if she'd known all that she would know now, I'm not sure she'd have ever taken the plunge. That said, when I'm getting married and when I'm thinking about do I marry Carol and I'm, I've got all this stuff in my head, you know, I'm looking for this, 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 this. You may have had the drill before. And what we have to be able to do is not lump pressure onto ourselves and say, I have to pray for just the right way. I have to be able to think through every angle conceivable. Understand, you're going to screw it up. But the Holy Spirit has the Lord Father's ear, and he's got it just right. He's interceding for you and I. But it's not from without. In other words, we talk about the Holy Spirit before the throne of God, and you and I would start to think, well, he's there, and we're kind of orphans here. But this is the beauty of what the Scriptures are teaching, and this is what Jesus is saying. 
is that when somebody becomes a believer, in verse 7 it says the Spirit lives with us, verse 17, and will be in us. This was a new concept for a Palestinian Jew in the first century. He's saying, I'm going to introduce to you a reality of the Holy Spirit, an experience you're going to have that is going to be new and part of the new covenant. When a believer is converted to Christianity, when a person, not just merely by saying, I believe in all these things, but they say, I'm entering into relationship with God because Jesus has made me okay with the Father. When that moment happens, when you begin a relationship with God, the Spirit of God comes and lives inside of us. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14 say, And you also were included in Christ Jesus when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. When you believed, assuming that you are genuinely a believer, at that moment when you entered into relationship with the Father, his Holy Spirit came to take up residence in your physical being. Now, there are other metaphors that the New Testament uses for this very experience, and one that's become kind of the parlance of our culture with regards to our bodies being a temple. That actually comes from 1 Corinthians six nineteen, And what the Apostle Paul is saying here is, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? What he's saying in that passage, in this passage, is not that our physical beings are just such great places. Let's treat them like churches. Let's treat them like big Mormon temples with gold statues at top. Polish them and spit them up and keep them in good shape. What he is saying is that in the Old Testament, the Jewish believers encamped around the tabernacle. They surrounded it. The tabernacle was the very center of their community, literally. And the Holy Spirit lived. They actually watched the smoke, the fire, the the presentation. They knew the presence of God was in the midst of their community by virtue of his presence in the temple. What the Apostle Paul is saying is that once somebody becomes a follower of Christ, walking in relationship with him, they are indwelt with the Spirit. They, you, literally become a tabernacle that houses the Holy Spirit in the same way. You are are a temple You are, the spirit lives in you. You no longer have to go to church to get the spirit. The spirit goes with you everywhere you go. He never leaves you. He never leaves you as an orphan. The Holy Spirit leaves in each of us just as he lived in the tabernacle of the Israelites, smack dab in the middle of them. The spirit's presence has always reinforced that God is to be the center of our lives and our communities. And now more than ever, his presence in all of us reinforces that concept. We are a tabernacle of the Holy Spirit. He is the center of each of our lives. And the Holy Spirit's work in each of us is that which pulls us together. And it's what community life is all about. And it's what so many people are missing. As Brooks talked last week, we were made in the image of God, who himself is a community from all eternity, Father, Son, and Spirit, 
And if you, like me, for any number of reasons, may find yourself hiding from interaction with others, you are running against a fundamental way that you were made to operate. And it's not just the people like real close to you. You are called to be a part of a community of people. And the way that starts to make sense is when you can connect the dots that you have the Holy Spirit living in you and you have the Holy Spirit living in you and you. And together, we are drawn to this place where we are not the center of community. We're not even the center of our own lives. Our lives become God's and community is the means that we see that again and again. When I was in Peru with this team of people from our church, it was a group of about 30 high school students. And usually as a young, it was a small church and I was the youth pastor and I kind of like administrating and vision casting and, and I have control issues. So I usually like to be the guy that like did all the things and set up everything. You know what I mean? Like I'd like to do all the check-in and make sure the flights are right because I'm not going to trust anybody to make sure that we got the flights and that everybody's on time. And, and because it was such a large group of students and because a really good friend of mine, Jim Patrick said, I'm going to come along on the trip and I'm going to let you just hang out with kids and I'm going to take care of all the administrative stuff. He was really good, and I could trust him, and he was a friend. So I said, okay, good, and I spent the better part of a month just hanging out with students, just pastoring them, being in their life, being a part of their conversations, not worrying about the taxis or the buses or the plane rides or is it time for dinner, and do I have to scoop everybody up and get them into the mess hall I just was a part of community life and I was, made myself available to students and they'd say, can I talk to you for a few minutes? And I'd be like, yeah, I got nothing but time. And I'd sit down and that process of community life is what made me come back to the United States and say, I'm done with radio. This is what God's called me to do. He's called me to be involved with people's lives. Now, some people have to be in radio, not many anymore, mind you, but it doesn't mean you have to be in ministry. This, is my, this was my journey and my vocation. What my point is, is that community life is what provided the context for me to understand what my gifts were and where I should work. I wasn't off in some ivory temple seminary deciding, where do I serve you, Lord? It was right in the middle where I went, this fits. This is what I'm good at. This is kind of what God made me to do. I'm done with radio. You and I have the great comfort to know, and I know now looking back, that I may have been praying, oh Lord, give me a media ministry that is so expensive that I would be impressive to mankind. The Holy Spirit was kind of chuckling in his intercession time with the Father and saying, you know and I know that that is the worst thing in the world that Chuck could have and that what he really needs is to be guided and directed this way. And so for me, it was a a time where I began to understand that the Holy Spirit cared enough about me to pray to get me not what I thought I wanted or a vision that I had for my own life and wonderful creativity and fame. But instead, he loved me enough that I could roll with the punches and believe that he was gonna get me where I was supposed to be because he was interceding for me. And he's doing the same for you, friend. If you're his child, he is interceding for you 
advocating for you from within. The second thing the Holy Spirit does, according to Jesus' word, is he assures us that we won't be alone. Verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. And on that day, you will realize that I am in the Father and you are in me and I am in you. Jesus is telling them, I'm gonna die, but I'm gonna come back to life. And because I'm gonna come back to life, you are going to live. And the way that's gonna happen is the Holy Spirit is going to come and take up residence in us. Jesus is addressing these disciples who've been hanging out with him for three years. It's a very exciting time. They believe he's the Messiah. In their minds, they got a notion of what that is. Things are looking really up for them. Socially, they've gone from being kind of like middle to low class fisher types, and now all of a sudden, they are in the big show. Things are going swimmingly for this gang. And then Jesus announces to them, I'm going to be leaving. And they get really kind of downtrodden. They're oh, just, oh, no. You can imagine how they feel. It would be like a kid who is being escorted into a town center and the parents saying, I'll be back in just a minute. I'm going to go get something. And then just disappearing. This, this awful sense of what are we going to do if you're not here? What am I going to do? And Jesus uses the terminology very specifically, very pointedly and says, I promise you, I will not leave you as orphans. Don't know about you, but there are times in a city of millions, tens of millions of people where I feel more lonely now than I have ever felt in my life. I came from a relatively mid-sized town. A friend of mine is here this week. I'm talking about Tallahassee a lot, and she happens to be here. Um, uh, I come from a relatively mid-sized town, and for some reason or other in my head, I thought if I went to a big city, I'd have lots of friends. And I found the exact opposite has happened. I've got millions of people, and I don't even know my neighbors' names. And, and so it's been sort of discombobulating for me at a certain level, especially in middle life. But what the Holy Spirit has begun doing in the last few years of my life is to remind me that I'm not alone. Even when I think I'm alone, I'm not alone. He's also put this real strong and high premium on this community of believers for me because my friends largely are from this community. I mean, I'm trying to make inroads, but when you tell people you're a preacher, it's kind of like the end of the relationship. Nobody buys you a beer anymore. They don't tell you jokes. It sort of screws up your social life. So, you know, this community becomes like, you know, like a place uh, that is a real haven for me. I mean, I'm like, the desperate lonely kid you say hey you want to hang out yes I do you know it's I mean it's really kind of sad when you think about it but the we were created as Brooks talked about last week we were created by God to remain in his presence our sin fractured that relationship and brought us to a place where we were separated we were orphans we were apart from God And when Jesus' disciples were walking with the incarnate God, they were experiencing a completeness that humanity hadn't experienced since they actually walked with God in the garden. And Jesus says to them, I'm leaving. And they're like, oh, we like the setup just the way it is. And he says, I'm not leaving you as orphans. And then he introduces to them that the Holy Spirit is going to live in them. The heart of God is that we would be connected to him and to each other. We were made for it. 
Jesus' commitment is that he would not leave us as orphans. We need a father who is present. And through our union with the Holy Spirit, we are connected with the father, the son, and each other. Verse 20, on that day, you will realize that I am in the Father, and you're in me, and I am in you. This is the reality for you. If you are a genuine believer and follower of Christ, the Holy Spirit, described in detail on your who is the Holy Spirit sheet, lives inside of you, intercedes for you, and has created community where you are connected to the Father and Him, whether you know it or not. Jesus understood this too because it's a challenge. He even tells, before long the world will not see me anymore, but you'll see me because I live, you'll also live. What does he mean? He means literally, actually, the first disciples saw him, but in a larger sense, when he prays for the church, it's the presence of the Holy Spirit. We see Jesus manifest in each other. To cheat yourself out of that is what you do when you say, I'm gonna be this isolated Christian who connects with no one. We can't see him physically, but with the Holy Spirit present in each of us, we realize that the Trinitarian God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit has reconnected us to himself. And in the same way that Jesus' presence pulled together his ragamuffin group of disciples and unified them in their efforts to make him famous, we're pulled together by our mutual experience to do the same thing. Bunch of people, no import whatsoever, Jesus says, come, follow me. Now all of a sudden their life has purpose. We're a part of his entourage to make him look good. And we get to be reconnected with the Father. This is the story of the church. You and I reconnected with the Father together, all in an effort to make Jesus front and center that everybody could see him. Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20 Jesus has assured us in his departure, the Great Commission, that we'll never be without this presence, without his presence, without the Holy Spirit. Jesus came to them post-resurrection when he appeared to them. They saw him physically. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, he said. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, his language, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. The presence of the Holy Spirit in each of us is what compels us to seek and find community or find ourselves longing for what we don't have and foolishly try to fill it with anything but the community of God's people. If one doesn't grasp that God is himself a community of three persons in one, nor comprehend that the third person of that deity resides physically in the bodies of each believers, they won't sense that there is a real value to them and to others in connecting in community. As is always the case with believers, we forget how valuable it is. That's why in the book of Hebrews chapter 10, the apostle writes that we are to not get in the habit of stopping meeting together. In other words, it's really easy for all of us to go, you know what, I'm tired of going to church every Sunday, or I'm tired of going to my community group, or I just don't have time for that. And you say, well, I don't have time, and I'm appealing to you, pleading to you, that it is for the betterment of your soul that you make that a priority. 
not just for yourself, but for others. Believers need other believers, if for no other reason than to remind ourselves of the realities of the gospel. We forget the joys associated with knowing others. We forget the joy of being used to be an encouragement to another. We, many of us, have never experienced the joy of being known and loved by others. We've just been too afraid to let others see behind the curtain. Gospel community brings freedom. We'll talk about that more in the next couple of weeks. A real gospel community is supposed to be a place where you let it all hang out, friend. And people don't judge you for it. They help you along the way. They help you along the journey of following Jesus. Friends, we can't get in the habit of not being together. We are broken and wandering souls and we need each other to remind each other of the gospel that we are loved by God. Today we are gonna celebrate communion and I wanna take a couple of minutes to talk about it because oftentimes we will rush through this, not intentionally, but just because it seems like the right or the, the part of the service that you're supposed to do at the end of a worship gathering. Communion is designed to be a weekly reminder that Jesus, by his Spirit's presence, is the center of our community. We are communing together around a table. There's nothing I enjoy more, and you can ask anybody, than going out to eat and sitting around a table and talking for hours, particularly if it's a sports bar. I get thrown out of sports bars, not because I'm drunk, but because it's closing time, and they're like, dude, get a life. I mean, that's really how it goes for me. I just absolutely love the communal aspect of those places. I love hugging strangers when their team gets a touchdown and they're looking for somebody to grab. I just love it. This is community life. And you see, we're in a place where every week we have a communion table. It is a buffet. Now, granted, it's bread and juice or wine, depending on your, per, your proclivity, but it's designed to remind us that we are in this together. He represented in the bread, the broken bread that signifies the broken body of Jesus that was punished so we wouldn't have to be for our sins. And the juice or the wine given his blood as a substitute for us so that we would be forgiven for our sins, cleansed. We stand in the presence of God okay with him today because of what Jesus has done. His spirit, as a result of that, and as a result of his converting us, lives within each believer. And those believers are called each week back to the table to remind themselves, Jesus is the center of my life. He's the center of this community. This is not about my fame. This is not about my comfort. That was Judas's problem. This is about making Jesus famous. We're just part of his entourage. We're here to make him known. And the joy of that is that along the way, we get to remind each other how much he loves us. So today, I'm going to pray, Isaac, and the guys are going to come while I'm praying and begin to play and lead in music. And when you're ready, you come, and you come to Jesus, and you say, I want once again to recognize 
the centrality of your presence in my life. That may mean that you have to say you're sorry for some things. I know I do. But he's there with grace and mercy to help you in your time of need. And if you're not a believer in Jesus and you say, this is going to be awkward. I'm the only one in my pew that's not going to get up and go take the bread and the cup. Friend, we want you to understand in the bulletin, there's some information about how you could actually become a Christian right now and then join us at the table. But understand, if you come to the table, what you are saying to everybody around you is, I follow Christ. I've surrendered my life. It's his. He is the one that is the center of my life and my community. And we'd love for you to join us in that endeavor. So let's pray that God would bless this time where we respond to him by calling out to him to fill us. Father, your spirit lives here with us. We thank you. Your word is clear that we, uh, that we are loved by you eternally, filled by you at the moment that we believe. And I would pray today as we come to the table and we take the bread and we dip it in the wine or the juice and we remember, Jesus, what you did to make us acceptable to the Father, that it would, that it would serve to, f- to, to fill us with such joy to think that we can know and walk with you the way we were intended to and that you graciously haven't left us as orphans. Fill my friends and I today with a sense of your presence that we would know and be at rest that you care for us more than we could ever imagine. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.